Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode of the Future Tribe show. I am Jermaine. And I'm Kelsey. And just like every week, we're going to be covering a bunch of news in the business, branding, WordPress, uh, marketing space. Um, We've got a bunch of interesting things to talk to you about today, including a few links that are a bit more fun and informative rather than necessarily news. But uh, we'll we'll get to that um, in time. So starting off with uh, talking about the way forward machine, if you're familiar with the way back machine, um, this is a interesting take on a similar concept. Uh, We've got a topic about brands potentially becoming more vegan. And is that uh, a new trend or has that already passed as a trend? Uh, We've got Netflix fast laughs. Uh, Harabara, uh, it happened with Harabara and it's happening with Space Grotesque. Uh, Something to talk about there. Hotjar getting a new logo and Canva launching their video editing suite, which is not surprising to anyone, I would say. Yeah, um, we'll also be discussing a report that came out about just how much Australian advertisers wasted last quarter in terms of money. Um, Census has had a rebrand to Thrive talking about Google rolling out infinity scroll, um, also going into dark patterns in websites and some ethical questions around that. And also a bit of a fun one uh, in terms of Squid Game, which is the popular Netflix show, I think most popular show of all time on Netflix um, and discussing some guerrilla marketing that's happened around that. All right. I think with that said and done, let's roll the intro and start talking and discussing. All right, so the first one, the way forward machine. Have you played around with this? Um, I think you sent the link through the other day and I forgot to actually have a look at it. So I'd love you to walk me through it. Well, I, I, I think let's reserve what happens to the listeners and the viewers to actually checking um, it out for themselves um, down in the description. Um, But essentially it's part of what, from what I can tell uh, archive.org's mission of communicating about free internet. And this, this has been an ongoing battle from, you know, uh, internet service providers who throttle certain types of traffic to, all sorts of different arguments that exist um, and have existed around the world. This is a exaggerated take on all that. I don't want to say too much. Check it out in your own time simply because there are so many permutations of what that outcome is. The general message is that we should probably be looking at freedom on the internet and uh, how we handle that and how we look at our leaders and politicians and how we put pressure on them on how to act in, in terms of the internet. Um, So not, not, not too much else to say there. Uh, It's like the way back machine, but how it would be if you were looking into the future with a bit of a negative twist um, Mm -hmm. or maybe an out of control government and law uh, (laughs) sort of approach. I'll have Um, to check that out after the podcast then. That's right. And so this one's the next thing that we want to talk about is something that you put in there, Kelsey. Um, Yes. Brands becoming more vegan. Mm -hmm. What do you you want to talk about there? Um, Yeah, so I came across this article. um, So Wagamama, which I don't think it's in Australia, but it's a UK chain, um, quite popular over there. They have released this ad which basically uses... um, like a weird take on Godzilla and is sort of angry at the world and, you know, how polluted and things it is. And then it just ends on Wagamama saying 50% of our food is now vegan. Um, And I just sort of started thinking about it as a, I guess, social commentary of brands jumping on this sort of vegan bandwagon. I think it's really awesome. Um, But I was sort of wondering whether, you know, are they early to the game? I sort of haven't seen too many brands really pushing the vegan side of things and especially not 50% of their menu being vegan or whether they're actually quite late to the game and, you know, they're just starting to realize that it's important to a lot of people to have those kind of options. 
do you also think this definitely is a bigger topic than we can sort of unpack on one episode, uh, let alone as a small part of one episode. But I, I always have my, the sinister sort of side of me makes me it's similar to the nab jab tab uh, or whole whole conversation about them jumping on bo- board with promoting getting the jab or getting the COVID-19 vaccine. I wonder if this is just them trying to appeal to a certain demographic or, I mean, did Wagamama, do you know if they got rid of half the menu to replace it with vegan options or did they Mm. just expand their menu? Yes, I'm not sure on that actually. Um, I mean, I assume their menu would change somewhat periodically. Um, but I've got no idea whether it's a case of taking out a lot of meat products and replacing it with vegan or products that were already somewhat vegetarian and just making them more vegan. Um, not a hundred percent sure on that, but yeah, I think when it does come to brands like this, you do have to sort of question sometimes what the motive is, but also at the same time, these brands and these companies do have real people behind them and they've got real people that do have different values and, sort of, you know, they'd be asking internally, hey, can we do this? Let's get a vegan menu on. Let's do more things ethically. Um, So, like, I think that it does come from a human place, but also there's, of course, there's going to be positives for the business as well. See, jumping jumping on one of the comments there, though, it's sort of this argument even you have about um, moving to electric vehicles and electric vehicles being better for the environment, depending on who you actually ask and depending on the research, who conducts the research, um, it's arguable as to the benefits. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily the case with vegan alternatives. Um, and that's where the whole, and we talked about this last week about how in some industries, it's just all about marketing. It's not really about a differentiated product. Like it's the same toilet paper, for example, that we talked about last last episode, I think it was. And in some instances, at least a small part of me feels like it's, it's just handy for marketing purposes, whether the real impact on the business is, um, is financial or you know, good PR uh, is sort of to be to be determined and to be mm. sort of, you know, when you when you work out how you balance things out, like McDonald's, for example, I will not be happy if they replace half the options with vegan options. Mm-hmm. Expand them all you like um, and add more items because, you know, McDonald's is a fairly, like they have seasonal menus, but their menus are also like you get the classics. In fact, mm-hmm. Now you can get most of their classics 24 hours a day, I think. Uh, yeah, something like that. Breakfast options, yeah. So mm-hmm. from from that angle, I think it's just a very easy way for a, for a company to provide options. And I'm not saying providing options is a bad thing either. Um, but I do wonder, like, what place these big behemoths have when it comes to introducing vegan options? And then how do brands who have always just been the vegan option like uh, not that there are fast food chains that are just vegan that i'm aware of are you i'm sure uh, there's no some. yeah so i was actually going to say and on the topic of mcdonald's so in australia as far as i'm aware there's no vegan or even vegetarian option in terms of a burger for mcdonald's and then i think when it comes to wagamama so it, it's sort of in that argument of it just being a nice little add-on PR stunt kind of thing. I think in the case of Wagamama, when they've talked about 50% of their menu becoming vegan, I think that's sort of beyond a PR stunt. I think that is a very big statement to make, even if it's expanded, like that's a massive focus on being vegan rather than just, I think in the case of like Hungry Jack's, let's say they've got a veggie burger. It's one veggie burger. That's it. That's your whole option. And they put a lot of emphasis on that when it came out. Um, but I think in this case, Wagamama is saying, this is what we care about as a company. We're actually going to make this a real option rather than just, here's your one thing, have fun. So mm, mm. I so really it's, like it's it. I think like it's positive. Tokenistic, yeah. um, option there. It's, it's at, at worst or, you know, like in the end, if you, if you want a vegan or vegetarian option, 
the worst part of the outcome can be that someone has more options, which isn't actually that bad an outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely agree with you on on that point. It never hurts to have more options. You might not even feel like having meat that day. You might not be vegan or vegetarian per se, but just want to eat something that isn't beef or chicken. Yeah. And you should have that freedom. And it it'll depend, I think, ultimately, these companies will just see how that works out for them financially uh, because there's real repercussions here, right? When you expand a menu by 50%, you then need 50% more space for everything. Uh, Or at the Mm -hmm. very least, you don't want to be eating a veggie patty that is two weeks old uh, because they've had to freeze it and no one's sort of been eating it. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle this and how as well the more fresh sort of branded brands, uh, branded brands, the, the fresh, <laughs> you get what I mean? The brands that mm-hmm. are more fresh than fast food or fresh fast food, how, how they sort of handle this, because I would imagine they need to keep an eye on demand uh, as much as they need to keep an eye on, you know, best buy dates and expiry dates. Yeah, absolutely. So from that to... Another thing that you put in there, which is Netflix's fast laughs. Yeah. So the other day, for the first time in probably months, I came onto my phone app for Netflix and I'm usually just on my TV or whatever. And I came across this thing called fast laughs, which was just another part of the app, like a little bit of another tab. And it was essentially a Reels or TikTok identical product. Um, but basically it just took like a couple of minutes or a couple of, you know, 30 second snippets from all different shows on Netflix that were like funny moments essentially. And you could just sit there and scroll through. And then of course, if you found something that was funny that you sort of hadn't seen before, click through and watch it. I just thought it was interesting from there, like right from there. Yeah. Within the app, um, which I just thought was such an interesting approach to obviously TikTok and Instagram reels that are currently well Instagram's trying to compete with TikTok probably not so much the other way around but I think Netflix has seen the success of those two and said how can we adapt this for us and now they've got fast laughs um haven't been on there since I haven't you know scrolled through it so I'm not sure how effective it really is but I imagine if there's one day I'm like really bored and I can't find something to watch maybe I'll go on there and have a scroll and hope that something pops up see that's better than they have like a randomized option and Mm. where you if you don't know you can just pick a button and just watch whatever so to me that is just highly unlikely that i'd do that but with fast laughs at least i get sort of a a quick snippet saying that though do you know if that's only for comedy at the moment as as Um, i hadn't really thought about that actually i assume so if it's fast laughs um because i mean you don't want to just get some random scene from some very serious movie and not really understand the context i think there's probably a lot more that goes into it um i'll have to explore it a bit more i sort of just had a scroll the other day and thought i should mention this on the pod um but yeah i'll have a, i'll have more of an explore and maybe come back with a report on my usage later <laughs> later I, yeah i mean it, it, it to me is really interesting in that netflix is obviously a certain platform right so it's it's one of one of many video platforms and it's it's its own platform that is really what the product is yes they they have their studios to supply content onto that platform but at the end of the day they want people to come to netflix and consume content within netflix that's that's the that's the platform but they've sort of they they have a YouTube channel, for example, called Netflix is, is a joke amongst many other YouTube channels. Uh, and what I think is interesting from this is Netflix exploring on other platforms how they can work on their content and, and, and as a result, their marketing. It's, to me at least, or in my opinion, it's extremely effective. Like TV channels used to do this where you could watch like a three-minute highlight or not not quite a trailer but you know an episode of um a certain show they just take three minutes and you can watch that on youtube and then you scroll down and if you're in australia you realize that it's region locked so you can't actually watch it anyway um but ultimately it is still a lead gen for them and these platforms are like facebook youtube etc 
I would assume has to let Netflix post this content because otherwise they'll just, you know, shout about it all um, mm-hmm. and, and make a, make a whole sort of song and dance about it, which is, which is in their rights. So it's something that smaller businesses can take out, I guess, some inspiration from too is looking at, okay, what sort of content or what, what, what sort of product or service do you offer and how can I look at getting onto some of these bigger platforms to, and then repurpose content similar to how we do with the podcast. We have not really talked about that in the past, but we have the video version that goes on YouTube. We have the Future Tribe Clips channel that sort of takes little short, shorter chunks of very specific content and puts that out there and then we've got the podcast itself we then push that onto our website with a transcript and then of course the podcast sort of gets disseminated across many other podcast listening platforms so it's for me the biggest takeaway is that netflix is so big and yes they focus on other forms of marketing and further further on in this episode we'll talk about a report that talks about how much Australian advertisers have wasted in in marketing Um, but what Netflix is doing is something that I would say wouldn't cost as much it's essentially content marketing but done within their own app and then on their competitors platforms absolutely yeah it's interesting Mm. um yeah especially because yeah it's they're such a big company so they'd have I would think uh, as much money as anyone else if they wanted to market this in a different way or wanted to spend the money on advertising. Um, But let's jump from that to something that would have sounded really confusing to, (laughs) I mean, to you, Kelsey, to most Mm. listeners. Um, I phrased it as it happened with Harabara. It's happening with Space Grotesque. And essentially what I just wanted to mention, and I, and it was more a point of conversation than necessarily that I've got a specific point. But back when we were known as New Main, I I wouldn't even be able to say what year. It would have been maybe 2014, 2015. I used potentially even earlier than that, Harabara as the font for the, the word mark. And a year or two later, it just started to be used on everything. In fact, I still see, and I forget the names of these big organizations, but I still see it used uh, on the logos or for the logos of big companies. And now it's happening with Space Grotesque, which used to be the word mark or the font that we used in our previous Future Theory logo. So, and this isn't a case of, what what do you call it, where... um, you you notice things a lot more when you either use mm-hmm. it or see it for the first time. This isn't a case of that, and I'm not suggesting that I'm a visionary. <laughs> I am wondering, though, what you think about it. Uh, I mean, I'm not super familiar with Harabara, but I think in any of these kind of circumstances, if you've got something that's a good product, people are going to realize it's a good product and it's going to take a while for it to pick up. Um, in you know, your case, you identified this early and then a year or two later, it, you know, became quite popular. Um, it's just how all these products function, I guess. And then you kind of get sick of seeing it and it stops being such a good product at that point. Cause you're seeing it everywhere. It's not original anymore. It's not unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that's a fair point. Damien mentioned when I was talking to him from a development Point of view that space grotesque is now available on google fonts uh, mm-hmm. and it, it's always been free and it's available for free from google fonts which is google's free repository of fonts for anyone who's not aware and it's fantastic because it's free so rather than having to pay licensing fees for fonts you get access to it for free we'll include a link for anyone who's interested um in the description but space grotesque is now available through there so he was also suggesting that now that it's available through such a prominent platform, it's got a lot more eyes on it. And then using that logic with what you've just mentioned, Kelsey, maybe it is as simple as 
it is good. It has now reached a wider audience, so more people are going to use it. Um, and we just picked up on it early, and it's just happened for the second time. But we haven't made a huge fuss about this yet, and uh, it'll we'll be disseminating more information about this. But you're the first to hear uh, this that we've got a trademarked new logo with a new word mark coming out. So maybe we'll see. But maybe three years down the line or two years down the line, the font that we based our new word mark off <laughs> will catch on too. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have to check back in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. On on episode 150 or some some <laughs> ridiculous number like that, we'll we'll check in and see um see if if my visionary status is uh, <laughs> remains intact. Yeah, <laughs> or if it's just falling apart. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so talking about new logos we've got a couple rebrands and logos that we we wanted to bring up and the first one is hotjar do you know what hotjar is kelsey uh i've heard the name i wouldn't be able to tell you what they do so hotjar is a analytics tool um let me share this for anyone who is um watching or will be watching in the future. Here we go. All right. So this is what Hotjar's new logo looks like. They've they're they're analytics like a tracking tool to understand how how users behave and interact with especially a website. I think they've potentially gone into web apps and apps in general. Um, so they've rebranded i'm not sure how many times they've actually used you know had a different logo introduced going further down to try and maybe see a history of their their logo there is a lot of examples (laughs) of application isn't there yeah a lot of collateral yes but nothing to talk about the previous iterations, but um, for anyone who's used Hotjar, I think they'd be very familiar with this this logo here. My, actually, no. What is what is your initial reaction? <laughs> uh, initial reaction: I'm drawn to the new icon. Um, thinking of it in the context of analytics, I like that it's got that upward movement. Um, it's not quite the flame they had in the old one, but it still mimics that flame-like approach, I suppose. Um, so I think that's kind of cool. I mean, I like it overall. It's not offensive. Um, I'm not. It's. It just kind of feels like a different logo to the previous. I'm not sure if it's sort of an improvement necessarily um, or a step back, but more just a different logo. Mm. Yeah. Do you think? I feel like maybe they did contemplate bringing the flame over, but it looks very Tinder-like. Yeah, and same color as well. They've adjusted to that sort of orange rather than the pinky red. Yeah, which which is a smart move. I think that their old logo looks potentially almost like a slightly more professional comic sans, and that's not a comic. <laughs> no, fun, that's not good. Yeah, isn't it? Where this new move, I, I I do like sort of the overall collateral and the expansion of their brand, but. They've introduced a color palette that is all over the place. Again, we've talked about this over and over again. And I don't think Hotjar, just like Dropbox and a lot of other brands, I don't think they they are big enough to just have a color palette that includes essentially every color that you could ever want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I get the whole, you know, I think the the, the suggestion here is that Various types of flames are inspired the color palette, but to me, it's a bit of a reach. When you think about hot jar, I never think about fire. I know the name says hot, but it's heat and fire are two different things. Um, do you think the new logo is supposed to, or the new icon is supposed to represent like smoke, maybe? Mm. Potentially. Um, I sort of more just see the like almost cartoon heat flames or like the heat waves kind of thing. Okay. Um, 
And yeah, just in that upwards movement, like you would hope to see in your analytics, things improving. So I think it's kind of trying to do both things in that sense. Do you also see sort of the Z, like not necessarily the Z, full full Z or Z, depending on where you're you're listening from, um, of that user journey from you know going down a website as well. I, I sort of see that, and you sort of tracking. I know there's two iterations of it, but sort of tracking that further down. I do think that T looks awkward a little bit. Yeah, I was sort of thinking before when you were speaking that the T and J, they just sit kind of funny. Like the J is very skinny in between the T and the A almost. Yeah, it's a bit, I feel like they could have done a bit better um, in Mm. terms of the kerning there. Yeah, I think I can see why they had to do it in that it's the only letter that has an overlap with another letter. But if you'd pulled that J across, you'd have this massive white space between the T and the whatever letter it was next to it. Yeah, it's potentially, oh, there you go. This animation for anyone watching is sort of trying to show how the um, trace graphic came to be. Um, Not the most convincing, by the way. I've never, that, that sort of journey there, I think, I mean, Hotjar would know better than I do, but I've never seen that sort of user journey where they start from one place and sort of keep bouncing up and down. It's more of a Z usually. Um, some of this, it is it is nice to look at, but I think some of this is a bit of a reach. Hmm. Looking at those graphics, it makes me think that it's, I mean, I'm not as familiar with Hotjar, I think, but it really makes me think of its heat mapping tool to really understand the customer journey. Um, And I feel like those lines really help to make sense of where things are going. Like that first animation we were looking at sort of drew attention to where people looked first and what their journey was across the page. So I I quite liked that myself. I'm not sure how that would go in a real application though. Well, yeah, so it might not necessarily translate to the real world as much, but you're definitely taking, I would say, the right things away from, from that. Though looking further through these illustrations, I do feel like they look more fun. And this is not to be offensive to Hotjar, but what they do isn't the most engrossing or the most interesting for the average, like, quote-unquote, residential consumer. Um, And they're trying to make it a lot more fun, perhaps, but... um, Maybe they maybe they do want to go down that road of, you know, like Kelsey, if you're building a website on Wix and you want to get a bit more information, maybe maybe they're starting to push into that market because sort of they've not exhausted, but they've reached as many professional designers and developers as maybe they could mm. reach. But I think it could also appeal to more professional people as well in terms of it looks like they're really focusing on the visual approach. And I think as somebody who sort of works in the SEO space and everything, you're looking at all different kinds of numbers all the time. Um, Having something else which gives you a visual understanding, I think, is nicer. And it's probably easier than if you're working with clients, let's say, or you're reporting to a senior manager of some sort to say, to break it down for them in an easier to understand way. So I think there's some good application in that sense. That, that's true. It's not something that I sort of thought about. And then even if you're trying to convince a not so developer minded or design minded individual, which would be more or less everyone else in an organization who sort of doesn't yeah. fit into your team, it might make it easier to do so because there is something that looks more pleasurable to touch and work with. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Fair, fair commentary, I would say. Um, talking about design, a tool that I think, and, 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 and talking about design from like a general consumer point of view, Canva, I think, is the, is the king, queen, you know, any, <laughs> is, is the royalty. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and today we're, we're talking about the fact that they've now announced launching a video editing suite. Um, which surprises, I would say, just about nobody. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that seems like the logical next step once you've sort of optimised your graphic design side of things. 
to a good enough point. Obviously, that doesn't mean they'll stop optimizing that. But yeah, expanding your service offering at this point now they've got such a large market share is the obvious next step. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is the obvious next step. I wonder what this will do to, you know, there's been talk of video being the next frontier when it comes to content creation, original content creation as well. Um, and I don't mean to say that in a way that like oh, video is this new thing <laughs> existed for so long, Yeah, uh, I'm aware. But video has been historically the harder thing for the the average person to do apart from sort of picking up a phone and sort of going from there. Um, we haven't, mm. I haven't played around with the new features from Canva. They're a huge company. I'm sure they've done a really good job with it. Um, but saying that we can't stand behind a comment like that. They, they may be really stuffed it up as well, just as much yeah, as they, they do really good job. It, yeah. It's, um, it. I was just thinking in terms of, yeah, video creation, as you mentioned, it's not a new thing, but I think accessible video uh, creation has not been there until recently. Like I think apps such as TikTok, let's say, who came out as a video app, but they introduced all these video creation features within the app which made it really easy for people to actually make fun engaging videos like even youtube for example was a case of like you've got to have your specialist suite of software elsewhere get that created and put it up in pretty much every other app that you've used there wasn't really anything that was really dedicated to simple quick video creation um so i think canvas obviously identified places like tiktok and said you know they're doing a great job let's get into the same market, let's make this easy for people and be the sort of first to that part of it. Well, yeah, you sort of think about even Instagram and what Instagram did to change how people edited images. It's not that mm -hmm. image editing didn't exist, but until a certain point, Photoshop was almost the only way or Lightroom were the only ways to edit and work on images um, until Instagram made it something you could just carry in your pocket. Um, and I don't feel like that's happened yet in the video space, which is yeah. where you're, you're sort of saying Canva's coming in. And I wholeheartedly agree because TikTok uh, and Instagram video, though they, they're good, but they don't really let you produce video. They let you, well, not, not to a, not to a high degree. They let you produce video to the sense that you can t trim things down and cut things down, but but not, not to, you know, a more um, robust degree. So maybe, maybe this is, this is that, that software to do it. And mm -hmm. that's the next frontier for them. Um, yeah. Talking about all this video, I, we mentioned um, obviously at the, at the top of our conversation about, um, or the top of the episode about Aussie advertisers wasting $54 million on digital media campaigns last quarter, uh, which is a huge, huge number. Mm -hmm. Does it surprise you? Uh, I haven't really ever looked into the numbers. Like I would, I would be interested to know what the comparison is from quarter to quarter. And I would also be interested to know sort of the background of how it was wasted whether it was COVID related or something else, um, sort of what went into that number. Like it's a massive number, of course, but it's a massive number in the context that we're used to thinking as a consumer in the term, in the space of, you know, national funding and budgets and blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a fair bit, but I don't it's know. It's nearly 40, nearly 40% of the digital marketing spend mm. was wasted. So, so I, I get your point. Now that we can see it in context, forty percent um, wasted, and that's that's auditing sixty-seven brands across industries like pharmaceutical, real estate, finance, and so on and so forth, including ASX-listed or stock stock-listed um, public companies and private companies as well, with mm -hmm. budgets from half a million to twenty-seven million. Another interesting thing that they found out of this was that the retail sector was the worst for ad spend wastage, wasting over $15 million in the quarter. And then real estate at 10 mil, insurance at 8 mil, pharmaceuticals at 5 mil, and then education. Mm -hmm. I am a little surprised that there's no banking in there, but 
I guess insurance is pseudo banking, real estate is kind of banking as well. So maybe the banking sector gets in there um, in that way. Um, yeah. There's also a breakdown of the worst digital channels. So mm-hmm. keeping the 54 million in mind, about half of that was wasted on Facebook, so 25 million, followed by Google at 20 million, Bing at 8 million, and LinkedIn at 4 million. Um, that is, those are big numbers. Yeah, I, it, it keeps making me think about whether COVID has had the impact on this. Like, are these brands wasting money because they're needing to adjust their marketing strategy? Previously, they've got sort of proven techniques and they know it works and everything. All of a sudden, adjusting to COVID and saying, let's take some risks. Let's try this new approach. Hasn't worked. Wasted. Is that where that's coming from? Is it that far off what it would usually be? I'm not sure. Yeah, I I think, again, we look at it in isolation and I haven't sort of looked into what the normal wastage numbers are like, but it doesn't surprise me at the same time that Facebook is where a lot of funding is wasted. I think Facebook, a lot of people, a lot of clients even of ours um, have told us of all their stories about how useless Facebook is. Um, Facebook, I mean, most platforms nowadays take a certain critical mass for it to be worth it. Um, until you get to that critical mass, it's not that it's pointless, but you don't see the return that you think you would. Um, the next being Google. I think Google have been very pressuring in how they try and sell you on Google ads uh, over the last few years. That it's It used to be something that, you, you know, you needed to really know how to do uh, Google ads to get, get on board and start advertising on Google. But nowadays there's, um, I forget what they call it because I always switch out of the, that view into like the expert mode. Um, but I think it's called maybe Google Ads Express where they try and make it really easy for you to just spend money. And we have so many clients who actually um, go down that road. They they end up just spending and advertising through Google ads and some of them get results, some of them don't. They usually come to us and sort of say, this hasn't been working or, you know, Jermaine, should we be doing Google ads? Which is hard to answer with a simple yes or no because it always, always has to be, it depends really. Um, but again, I think all this comes back to the reasoning as to why I'm a huge fan of content marketing, even talking about Netflix before, about the fact that the beauty with those sorts of approaches is that, yes, you can't reach necessarily new audiences in that you can't reach people who aren't looking for a solution that you're offering, but you can reach, especially important for small businesses, you can reach audiences that are looking for the specific thing that you're working on. Um, and content marketing is something that I'm a huge fan of, something that you were aware of. You were asked about that if, when you applied for the job because it is it is really a, a fantastic approach, content and inbound marketing. Um, so to me, just... I think regardless of COVID, and I totally get what you're talking about there because it could be that they had these commitments for TV ads, for example, and people just didn't have the money or, you know, there are certain things that I wouldn't want to just buy online that I'd want to buy and try out in person, like clothing. So it's not surprising Mm -hmm. the retail sector struggled. But at the same time, it's kind of... It's kind of sad that, you know, 50 million plus was just thrown away and could have been used for so much more just down the drain um talking about companies that that waste money um (laughs) i don't hate or dislike well i dislike census you you know who census are uh look i'm not gonna lie every time i see it it just makes me think of the australian census which i know has different spelling but that's always census as in um the report they do every few years to make sure like the population oh, the census yes <laughs> that's what i always think of and then i just get confused between the two right maybe that's where that name was inspired from mm, it's i mean it's definitely different spelling um, uh, c- certainly different spelling but i wonder so so census is who who owns or did the yellow pages and the white pages um ah uh, that's right yeah so they actually have a 141 year history who knew? Um, 
census was only sort of started being used as a name apparently 19 years ago um but yeah they can part of their history can be traced back to something like 1880 which is quite crazy that's when the white pages launched um so i wanted to bring up the fact that they rebranded to thrive um more so to talk about the fact that we've um lost another aussie company being bought by an american company it was acquired by thrive in the us for 260 million dollars in march um and that was after Telstra sold 70% of census to another private equity firm in the US. So we just, there's the, we've talked about this as well when we talked about CNN ditching Australia in one of the previous episodes. The fact that there are American companies and it's not, you know, nationalistic or patriotic, it's just the concerns around international organizations being able to manipulate such a, or, or at least control such a, significant thing a significant business a significant asset in australia um and that affects the marketing space as well absolutely um i have to say the one thing that's bugging me looking at this is it's spelled t-h-r-y-v i can do with the y i just feel like there should be an e on the end of that if they're going to go with the traditional like word thrive and that's it's honestly just bugging me like i don't like looking at it I, I think we're also it. well. I don't. I think we're being nice to them by pro, by pronouncing it thrive as well. I think I wouldn't be surprised if someone sees that and goes thrive because hmm. because it doesn't have the e. So yeah, it doesn't. It does have sort of that harsh finish. Um, I think yeah. There's just so many things that are wrong with this, but at the same time, <laughs> it's a private company. So so what can we do? We just have yeah. to deal with it. But um. It, it, it'll be interesting moving forward because Telstra themselves offer competing, uh, offer services that compete with what we do, for example, in terms of digital marketing and web development. Um, Census used to, I'm not sure if they still do. So there are a lot of really big players now investing into these this area because it is so important. Um, I feel though like this is going to lead to more wastage in terms of ad spend. Again, talking about what we were just just yeah. going into because these big big companies they're sales driven. So what are they going to do? They're going to want you to sell um, more online through digital ads because they get the fees for maintaining those things for you. Now, yes, you would stop doing it after a certain period of time, and if if they were, if it was ineffective, but at the same time, you've still wasted that money for a certain period of time. Um, and no doubt they'd be trying to convince you with um, minimum contracts and minimum spend and, and things like that. So I just, I, I do dislike that side of what's happening, but I might mm. be alone. No, I think that's fair enough. Always good to be wary of, you know, takeovers and things like that, I think. Yeah, especially in the advertising and money spending space. Mm. Um, now, last week we talked about, was it last week that we talked about Google rolling up, rolling out some updates? I believe so. Yeah, they had that sort of increased transparency with the extra data about when it was, uh, you know, the website was originally made and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and that wasn't so, I at least don't think that was so financial driven. But then we also talked about, them stopping ads about climate change, um, which I just saw the financial gain for them because they said outright that the their advertisers didn't want to advertise next to those sorts of uh, that sort of content, yeah. um, and now they've announced uh, infinite scrolling on on Google search results, um, mm. or they're calling it continuous scrolling, which is rolling out to Google search for most English searches on mobile devices in the US. That's their official announcement um was this a thing at some point already i feel like i have this weird memory of google having infinite scrolling at some point they may have they may have experimented with it so mm. google and a lot of big companies are known to just push um a certain you know a thousand users get access to a feature during the testing process um so it may have been a feature 
to to me mm. it's it's an interesting one because now we're moving away from Google Ads being up the top to Google Ads being potentially anywhere in the search results, making it harder to differentiate ads and you know genuine search terms. Um, it also raises concerns for me around like Google shaking up things that are just a classic that they've sort of left alone for a long time. Um, I've appreciated that about Google that that not that they're you know the the best or or, or they're not about making money versus other um, companies, but I feel like yes, Google kills off like introduces and kills off products all the time, but they've left their core offering fairly manageable like you're not sort of dealing with ads for example on google search in terms of like display ads Mm -hmm. which they could have easily done like they could have just made into a billboard which which they haven't done um but with this step to me they're trying that they're mucking around with google search which i've just appreciated that they've left Mm -hmm. it alone um but i wonder if i mean am i alone in that feeling uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what to think about it because I'm sort of thinking from the perspective of at the moment, you know, you go through your search, you'll get to the bottom, maybe you'll go to the second page. Not often you'll get to the third page though and you'll sort of leave your search there or research something if you haven't found what you're looking for. I wonder how that will change user behaviour with endless scrolling because you're not going to sort of realise you've hit the end of that first page which you usually recognise as the most relevant and I wonder what that will do in terms of sort of ranking for organic search results, um, whether it's going to be slightly like less important to be f- first page because all of a sudden you're not just first page, you're just somewhere down the scroll. <laughs> I wonder what that's going to, yeah, I'm not sure what that's going to do. Yeah, I think it'll have really interesting repercussions as, as you said, you're no longer first page because I would argue that I'd rather be at the top of page two than maybe in the middle of page one potentially just just because you might risk being lost in the in the mess versus just being clearly the first or second search option um i can't help but think that yeah they've done it for a financial reason similar Mm. to when facebook moved to the non-chronological news feed it just suddenly opens up the canvas from being x amount of search items and then we've got to go to another page to hey we can do whatever we want um and we can show whatever we want and can take mm-hmm. almost as much space as we want so they can start playing around with those things. Um, yeah. I wonder if it'll keep users on Google longer, whether that's an outcome they're after or whether it would shorten the time they're on, on the search results and what kind of impact that might have. Because obviously, as you said, they don't have the display stuff. But if you're scrolling and you are seeing more of the ads, maybe they'll charge more for the ads. Well, also... How many times, well, it's called like with TikTok, you infinitely scroll, right? You don't realise you don't have a marker. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. I think there are huge business pros as to why Google would want to do what they're doing. And um, basically all of that is potentially negative and that we might find ourselves just scrolling through Google search results forever, which... It's yeah. a weird place to think that we could get to or be, um, but we shall we shall wait and see because Google are Google are one company that you know is is happy to launch something and then cull it if it doesn't work and they change mm-hmm. Google search all the time um, like on a weekly or daily basis. So um, talking about negative stuff, you you put this one in about dark yeah. patterns in websites. Yeah, it was an article I came across earlier this morning um, and it was a term I hadn't heard before and it sort of touches on actually a few of the things we've discussed today um, in this podcast. So it's basically a thing called dark patterns um, and it's where websites will essentially manipulate users to make a decision that they maybe wouldn't make otherwise. And I was sort of reading through this article and I was like, yeah, this you know it doesn't sound super ethical, some of these approaches that websites are using. But then I also started to think about what point is it marketing and convincing somebody to do something versus unethical manipulation? Like where does that line actually start or end? 
I, I also just want to jump in and say you said unethical manipulation. I think <laughs> All manipulation could is. be exactly. I think marketing <laughs> is then ethical manipulation. So True. Um, <laughs> it's a it's mm. hard to draw that line. Yeah. And I mean from I mean studying at uni, for example, we did a course, a unit called consumer psychology. And that's a part of marketing. And that's really like obviously there was a lot of ethical considerations we were taught in that, but at the same time it's understanding how certain colors or putting stickers on the ground or playing certain music will influence a person's behavior and decisions. And just that in itself, you know, you, you do have so many ethical things that could come up on that. So when you're designing, um, you know, websites, for example, to make it really easy to subscribe to something, but really difficult to then unsubscribe or change that decision, is that um, a dark dark pattern is that what that's classified as um and I was thinking as well when I started reading this about my experience with Amazon so I think I was trying to get one product and I thought look let's just sign up for the free trial of Amazon Prime and then I'll unsubscribe and it was fine I did unsubscribe but the actual process to unsubscribe I think it was like five steps of me saying yes I want to unsubscribe and each time it was like a really big green button of like no keep my membership and a tiny little thing saying yes continue which took me to another page, which sort of questioned some other parts of why I was unsubscribing. And it was such a process to actually just say, like, get me out of here. By the end of it, I was quite frustrated. Like I said, I got there, but it was not easy. And they kept using all these tactics to keep me subscribed. And you have to be very alert throughout that process because, like you yeah. said, the things that catch your eye are what's a desirable outcome for Amazon itself and not an, not not for you as the user despite you starting the unsubscribe or cancellation flow mm -hmm. and they know well and truly that you just want to you know be done with this yeah. i do wonder if there'll be a law about it you know how emails for example have to have an unsubscribe down the bottom yeah although there's still a lot that don't <clears throat> which i have come across and it's very frustrating um mm. i mean this particular article so it's talking about dark patterns in new zealand um, and basically raising the question of whether it needs to start being regulated. Um, so it sort of, it does start talking about like privacy acts and things like that. So I think that that's, you know, this particular person's come across some, I guess, information and they've started to have that conversation, which I think is quite important. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, what happens with it. Because I think the internet space traditionally has been quite unregulated. And then as all these different things are popping up, there's starting to be more regulation, particularly here in Australia when it comes to like news and things as we've discussed in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just, it'll be very interesting to see how governments and things can have an impact on this or whether it will be a consumer push to say, stop treating me like this kind of thing or what's what will happen with it. Because this is the first I've come across this concept. I hadn't really thought about it that much, but it it's a really it's good point. I've, I've heard of it as well, but... Microsoft does it in Windows and mm -hmm. I've updated to Windows 11 and I am yet to find an easy way, for example, to set Chrome as my default browser instead of Edge because it used to be you can just go switch it from, you know, one to the other. And now you actually get the, the default option is that they give you a bunch of extensions. So you have to like go in and say .html doesn't open in Edge, opens in Chrome and so on and so forth. And you have like, at least on my screen, I had something like 15 different options and I just wasn't willing to sit there changing each and every single one. Yeah, and you're somebody that's in the space, so you're familiar with it as well. Take somebody who's not familiar, how would they get around that? Well, and all of a and, sudden and they might have particular advertising or something that's coming through Edge. and Exactly. We, well, we launched a website last week to um, for, a, for an organisation that has, you know, they, they get thousands, you know, into the tens of thousands of visitors. And it's been an interesting experience because every time we launch, we get almost a slightly different demographic and we get some feedback from that demographic. And what we found here was that they, this, they had users who are sort of that age group that didn't necessarily that they had Chrome, like we got a screenshot of one error that they were facing and they had Chrome, but they were using Internet Explorer <laughs> despite like right next to um, Internet Explorer, the, the taskbar had the Chrome icon, but they just didn't know to use it um, because even if you download Chrome, Microsoft's so good at forcing you to 
well, in this case, this this computer was so old that it still had Internet Explorer, let alone Edge. Um, and even if you update to Windows 11, you've got you've got Edge trying to just you know sneak into every single corner. So it's it's a it's a terminology, the dark patterns sort of terminology is something that I haven't heard before, but it's well and truly existent and um, concerning as well. But um, from, from, yeah, what I've seen, like you've said, there's been less regulation around the space, less regulation around technology in the past. So maybe, maybe um, it'll, it'll be sort of put a stop too soon, but it does remind me of whether the tech space is to an extent like F1 racing where, you know, there, there are rules and the winner um, to win has to push the rules to the, to mm-hmm. the point at which, you know, the organized, it has to then be banned for the next season. And is, is um, technology getting to that sort of point where. Yeah. Um, it's definitely reactive kind of regulation and it has to be because until these sort of developers and things come up with these new concepts and adjust rules that don't exist there can't be rules in place because the people that are you know putting those regulations in they can't anticipate all of that sort of stuff exactly Mm. i um this this episode has been a bit a little bit pessimistic i want to say it has been that's kind of we've got a fun one though which i wanted to sort of mention um to finish off with which if you haven't seen Squid Game, go watch it. I assume pretty much everyone has seen Squid Game at this point. Yeah, um, what, what is it? It, they, it got 111 million views or some 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 crazy number like that. So yeah. I would say, yeah, if you're I listening think to Netflix's this Netflix's most, yeah, most popular series of all time. And it's ever. only been out for a couple of weeks, I think. So it took off. Um, but there was a guerrilla marketing campaign that came out um, I can't remember which country it was in, but it was basically a debt company that helps people get out of debt. And they just got the printouts of the cards that have, you know, the the circle, triangle and square, the little business cards that they slip under the door at Squid Game. And they just started slipping those into doors of people that had debt just to basically say you could be in this kind of situation. Obviously, it's a bit scary and dystopian and everything. Um, but I just thought it was a really cool little marketing campaign really creative um i think that they'd sort of thought it out quite carefully without it being terrifying to people um because i think on the back of the card obviously they got information about it and who to contact and things um i just thought it was a yeah cool campaign that i wanted to give a shout out to it was yeah conducted by a debt debt app called relief um who was trying to get the word out about the dangers of credit card debt and about ten thousand people received those cards in the New York and Miami sort of geographic geographical regions. Um, their point was that credit card debt in America is not far off $1 trillion. So $930 billion of credit card debt um, in the US. So they were trying to get the word out. This is another example. We were talking about Netflix earlier with their marketing approach of just something that small businesses can do now this would have cost it cost a bit but nowhere near as much as you would think uh, mm. at least in terms of production for a small business yeah like well i mean were... it's just a letter drop really it's exactly. just a small and business card slipped business under a door yeah. yeah and you can get yeah. those business card sort of costs down to cents if not fractions of cents at absolutely especially at a scale of ten thousand. yeah i i love it yeah, and I think in this case, it's a really good um, example of knowing your audience as well. Um, so it sort of mentions in this article that millennial and Gen Z have the highest rates of credit card debt. Um, and I think that's probably American numbers, but it's probably true across a lot of countries. Um, and of course, Squid Game and Netflix. World, yeah, Squid Game and Netflix really is Gen Z millennial audience as their primary. So that's really understanding that audience and knowing who to target and how to target them in the best way and timely as well which is always very important keeping it topical oh if you can hit that hit that you know essentially trifecta um of audience relevance and timeliness i would say you're you're just you're just killing it um is that a, is that a pun we're talking about squid game no. we let's let's not ruin it ruin anything for, <laughs> for the single person listening to this episode who hasn't watched Squid Game. Yeah, um, I mean, by now you've surely seen the spoilers, so we're probably not <laughs> revealing anything new. 
That's true. If you haven't watched it, go go check it out. I think um, there are some interesting questions that are Squid Game's raising in terms of the like people who are ex- like watching it because it's quite a gory, gruesome, uh, gruesome show to watch. But mm-hmm. that's that's one for another episode if it gets out of control. Because yeah, I've just heard about miners consuming and watching Squid Game, which is. Yeah, a, a conversation for another time. And on that note, <laughs> yeah. we'll end this episode. Um, thanks for listening. Links, as always, down in the description. And we will catch you on the next one. Yeah, catch you later.